From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm your host, Amanda Icone. The first quarter of 2020 just ended, and that would normally mean it's time for companies to close out their books and report their quarterly earnings. But this was no ordinary quarter. As a result of the coronavirus pandemic and the ensuing economic crash, companies are scrambling to provide new earnings guidance and to share their plans on how they will weather the crisis. Plummeting stock prices and evaporated revenue means that accountants are now recalculating key areas of a company's finances, trying to get an updated but complete picture into the hands of waiting investors. At the same time, finance and accounting teams are working remotely. Some may have leaner teams due to furloughs, childcare duties, even illness. So how do companies and investors get a handle on these problems? To find out, we spoke with Todd Castagno, a tax and accounting analyst with Morgan Stanley. We started off by asking Todd, what can investors expect? And will these accounting hurdles delay financial reports? Because of the unprecedented nature of this, you know, it does affect uh, the accounting and reporting function, um, and companies are having difficulty with normal processing of information, uh, the reporting process, and as well as when you have shocks like this, uh, it triggers a plethora of accounting requirements, so such as asset impairment tests and fair valuations, um, even the going concern assumption has to be challenged, and those are, those are difficult accounting procedures uh, that can be difficult um, from an audit perspective as well. And so what we're finding is companies are having difficulty, um, and it's nuanced. Some, some are perhaps um, more able to work in this kind of isolated workforce that we have today, this work-from-home um, theme that we're encountering, uh, than others. But we are hearing that companies are having some difficulty, and it, it should be understood. Um, and so that generally means I think the accounting and reporting season will be pushed out. So we've had a handful of companies recently that have uh, delayed their uh, first quarter earnings, um, a matter of days. Others are a little bit more uncertain. Um, and so that, you know, it's important because that, that matters to investors in the investment community who everyone right now is really searching for information. What does it mean? Um, and, you know, what are the, what are the, the trends in the companies and the markets and the, in the, in the economics ultimately? Well, and I wonder if you can talk more about reporting deadlines. The SEC has provided some deadline relief to companies. A few sound like maybe they're going to take advantage of that. Um, you know, how many companies will we see report on time? So that's a good question. And, and yes, the SEC um, has now put out a couple of updates um, that's giving companies a 45-day window um, extension, I should say, to file their, their 10, uh, 10Ks, 10Qs, in order for a company to take advantage of that relief, they do need to file um, an 8K explaining the difficulties and challenges they're having, preparing their accounting information, and when they effectively when they expect um, that information to be finalized. And so it's a bit early to say um, the number of companies that will take advantage of that. I just think from anecdotes, speaking with some of the analysts that cover our companies, it does seem like um, you will have companies that will need to take advantage of that for the reasons we discussed. Now, the other interesting thing is is earnings season and 8Ks and, and conference calls. You know, the SEC also had provided some uh, guidance to preparers as well around preliminary earnings announcements. Um, you know, one of the things to highlight generally is the, our whole, you know, um, fun topic of non-GAAP metrics and reporting. So, 
you know, generally there's a requirement to reconcile those non-gap items to a gap item. But the challenge is if, if you don't have the gap item readily available, you know, it, ma it makes it challenging to communicate perhaps the headline earnings that the, that the street investors generally focus on. And so the SEC has also provided a little bit of flexibility that allows companies to provide, provide a, a preliminary um, gap item or a preliminary range of that gap metric, which I think should help companies at least communicate uh, the key points to investors. Well, that's a good point. I mean, investors without information will still find a way to make estimates, right? I mean, the 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 need to provide some information is going to be, I would think, increasingly important, right? Yeah, that's a good question, right? And so you have a shock of this magnitude. Um, ultimately, investors will react by wanting to as much information as possible um, so they can update their estimates, have a better understanding of the risks. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, make an investment decision. And, you know, I think investors realize the challenge that companies have. Um, and there is this information gap. And it's also a challenge I'd like to highlight as well, and this was part of the SEC guidance, you know, there's responsibilities under Regulation FD where you need to have broad dissemination of information. So I do think clients um, and preparers will want to come out with some sort of communication in the near term related to this earnings season. It might not be the full set of information that we expect um, or have expected in, in, in prior earnings season. It might be truncated. In many sense, it'll be more robust in terms of qualitative information, but it is important. And it is that's also important from a company perspective, again, um, for their responsibilities under Regulation FD to have broad dissemination. And, you know, it's, it's hard for management teams today, maybe they want to have a conversation, but because there's so much uncertainty, you know, there is a, a degree of finalization of preliminary um, assessment that needs to happen. So I, and we do expect companies to come forward. Again, I just think investors um, and users of financial statements and information should be prepared that the information set that they get is likely going to be different. And then when it comes around to, you know, updating all the information that comes through in a 10Q or 10K, you know, that's going to be an extended timeline and it's going to be a challenge for investors uh, without that information to fully update their models and fully have a view, updated view of the company's financial statements. So you're expecting that we will get some preliminary numbers from companies, it, but it won't be the full and complete batch of numbers we would normally get. And then at some point we will get the Q or maybe it's a K for, for mid-year filers, but that we could see those reports be delayed. Yeah, we. I, I think it's again given the circumstances, a delay should be expected. Um, now, again, some companies um, may have a shorter delay; others may have a more extended delay. Um, it de depends on the complexity of the business. It depends on where your workforce is. It depends on your auditor. It depends if you're a multinational. Can you access the books and records in different countries that might have stricter isolation protocols? So, there's, there's a in number of challenges that companies face. Um, and, you know, I do think investors are understanding that of these challenges. Um, so I don't necessarily want to hint that companies be penalized, right? I think there's that thought. I think it's that I think management teams will work with the, the, the market, work with analysts, work with investors to get that set of information out as best they can. And it's important when we're talking about broad dissemination of information. I mean, that essentially means that companies have to tell everybody the same thing all at once. They can't share some information with some investors or certain analysts or, and, 
and then the other, the flip side of that also is insider trading concerns. I think that is ties into this. That's that's correct, right? So there's you need that broad dissemination. You don't want to be in possession of um, material non-public information. You know that goes for both an analyst, it goes for an investor, um, and I think that's your your listeners should also understand that. You know, if you are in possession, that that triggers a bunch of compliance concerns. It perhaps restricts trading for particular um, securities for a particular firm and compliance issues. So, you know, no one wants to be in that position. So, I think there is an understanding. There's a tension, right? That, you, that investors and users want inform- more information, um, but there's also the understanding that um, the, the regulations are why you know what they are for for this particular reason. Um, and so, we we do think companies will. Um, you know, likely release some information, but again, it's going to be likely on a staggered basis and you might not get the full suite of information that you typically get in a normal earnings cycle. Well, we're certainly already seeing a flurry of 8Ks as companies make um, big changes in their operations beyond just idling stores and and factories and whatnot. We're seeing furloughed workers and executives taking big pay cuts and um, it sounds like we're likely to see more of that as in the coming weeks. Absolutely. Right. We've seen a lot of that. So um, suspensions of dividends and share repurchases, right? You, you mentioned uh, changes to compensation. Unfortunately, we, we, there's furloughs of workforces. Um, we've seen many companies um, draw down on their revolving lines of credit. Um, you know, we estimate and the, you know, Bloomberg's reported, you know, to the tune of around $100, $100 billion as of uh, a week or so ago, right? So we are seeing a lot of the, these types of 8K uh, reports come out that's helping. You know, a lot of it also is pulling down guidance. So again, it's just as a signal that management uh, clearly doesn't have a, a, a view onto prior guidance. And that was also part of the SEC's uh, re- release and guidance as well, is that if uh, a particular piece of guidance should no longer re- be relied on, and we need to communicate why that uh, is the case. So when we do get updated information from management, from public companies, what are investors looking for? What are they wanting to hear? Or what numbers are they anxious to get their hands on? You, you, a lot of people think that near-term earnings guidance is what f- uh, investors are focused on. And perhaps traditionally they are. You know, Speaking with our analyst um, and our economist, it's really what is the management mindset. So I, I really think investors are going to put a higher weight on the qualitative information, that, uh, certainly over the near-term quantitative information. It's really when do you see what's the trough and, and what's the management view of when we turn the corner, when, you know, when we beat this virus, what does the outlook look like? Is it a V-shaped recovery? Is it a U-shaped recovery? You know, hopefully it's not an L-shaped recovery. Um, but getting that insight in terms of capacity, when companies um, can get their workforces back, um, um, when supply chains open up, those are the pieces of information that I, I really think investors are focused on. That was Todd Castagno with Morgan Stanley. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll go beyond financial reporting pressures and talk about some of the specific accounting challenges that could affect the timing of when investors get fresh figures. Stay tuned. We're back, and we're talking with Morgan Stanley's Todd Castagno. 
He says the economic shock from the coronavirus pandemic has triggered a rare confluence of accounting work. It's complex and costly. We're talking about reevaluating asset values and whether or not a company will be able to continue on as a going concern. You know, when you have, again, an occurrence, a shock like this, it does trigger a number of accounting requirements. So what comes to mind, um, things like asset impairments, right? Um, companies uh, that have goodwill, they need to reassess if that, uh, the value of that goodwill, if, is it impaired? And then you got to go through a remeasurement process, which can be uh, costly and time consuming. Um, you know, we have a new lease standard that you've, you've written about, right? Now that those leases are, um, assets are on the accounting books of these retailers, um, they have to be reviewed for impairment. You know, these companies have, have never really done that yet, not done that before. And so, um, you know, you particularly think of that cohort, the retailers, um, perhaps the most economically stressed, um, and they have very challenging accounting um, right on top of it. So that's an example. Uh, fair value measurements, right? Um, it, it's, it's, it, we, up until very, very recently, uh, given some of the Fed's actions, markets have been highly illiquid, right? And so um, doing some of those fair value measurements becomes more complicated. Um, and we should expect bouts of liquidity in, in, in certain asset markets as, as we as we move through this um, as we move through this pandemic. Um, hedge accounting, right? That's another one that's highly complex that that companies need to re- reassess. Even things such as revenue recognition, um, when there's variable cons- consideration, and you know um, you need to reassess that. Perhaps income taxes is another one. Reassessing valuation allowances, um, you need to incorporate perhaps. The, the, the CARE Act had a number of different tax provisions, right? And so those all need to be reviewed. Um, the income tax footnote needs to be updated um, for things like net operating loss, carry forwards and carry backs, et cetera. Well, and these are unusual measurements and recalculations to have to accomplish all at once for a quarterly report, correct? I mean, you wouldn't normally have to do all of this every quarter. Uh, certainly. M- many of the things we just discussed generally would not be um, triggered at all, perhaps, right? So um, just the because of the nature of this particular circumstance, you know, there's a lot of downstream implications to the county, which is which makes it, um, you know, more difficult on the on the prepared community. Well, you mentioned revenue recognition. I, I wanted to ask about that. You know, companies are offering right now freebies and incentives and other crust credits to customers, you know, that's great for their customers, but what does that mean for a company's revenue? How, how does that affect the accounting that goes into that? Right. So, you know, one of the components, particularly under the new ASC 606 standard, um, is variable consideration, right? And variable consideration uh, can take significant amounts of judgment, um, and companies will, may have to make additional disclosures, um, or, you know, around the methods, inputs, um, assumptions of of coming up with those estimates of variable consideration. So, you know, the model that perhaps they have built based on historical trends may not be applicable, right? So uh, fresh eyes, um, fresh assessment of that variable consideration is going to be needed. And that can be costly and that can be timely, um, time consuming uh, to produce. Is there anything else that, you know, our listeners and investors should be keeping an eye out for? Um, anything else um, on the accounting front that, that, um, that they might want to ask companies about that they should be looking for in the queues that, that accountants are, are working through right now? 
Well, one that we, we haven't hit on um, is the brand new CECL standard, um, current expected credit losses, right? So right. there's obviously, obviously, obviously some news there. Uh, as part of the CARE Act, um, Congress did allow a potential delay of, of, of the CECL rules as well as what we call TDRs, triple debt restructurings. Um, so there, there is another degree of uncertainty. What will, what will companies do? Um, you know, as our view, I think a lot of the larger banks will likely report under CECL, um, but you might have other financial institutions and non-financial institutions uh, that, that are going to have a challenge with CECL. And so it'll be interesting to see what the accounting there is. Well, in that accounting standard, of course, that CECL stands for the current expected credit loss uh, model, that that took effect in January. Companies are supposed to begin reporting under it this quarter. Um, the old model is known as the incurred loss model. It's basically more of a historical look of losses that have already been incurred versus what you expect to lose in the future. Um, it's been a controversial rule. Um It'll be interesting to see, you know, how that who who decides to go forward with Cecil and who decides to revert back to the incurred loss, and what kind of disclosures we might get around that. And also, really, you know, what those expectations of losses are, right? That's also um, a, a very significant data point for investors. Is these particularly larger banks, their economic views? You know, again, is this a V-shaped recovery? Are the are the expected losses? small or are they larger? Is it, you know, more of a U-shape or L-shape recovery? So that conversation, um, I think, will be very important. Well, thank you so much, Todd, for joining me today. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Todd Castagno is an accounting and tax policy analyst for Morgan Stanley. Thanks for having me. That's all for this week's episode. You can find up-to-the-minute news on the coronavirus and its impact on tax and accounting at our website, news.bloombergtax.com. That website again is news.bloombergtax.com. From Washington, I'm Amanda Icone. Thanks for listening. Hey there, I'm Kyle Trigstad, politics editor for Bloomberg Government. And I'm Greg Giroux, senior elections reporter for Bloomberg Government. Check out our podcast, Down Ballot Counts. Each week, Greg and I will be breaking down all of those down ballot elections that make up the fight for the U.S. Congress. Listen and subscribe to Down Ballot Counts from Bloomberg Government wherever you get your podcasts.